Prepare a way for the Lord. Let every valley be lifted up. Let every mountain be brought low. Prepare a way for the Lord. Friends, we gather this first Sunday of Advent as the people of God so that we might make our way to Bethlehem together. As we prepare for worship, we are thankful that each one of you have gathered this morning to form this unique body, to praise God, and to grow in God's word. What a joy it is to come together. As we prepare for worship, I invite you to note a few important announcements. We are currently accepting contributions for the Christmas flower donations. Donations may be given in memory, in honor, or in celebration of those important moments and people in your life, and those flowers will fill this space as we continue on our way to Bethlehem. For more information on how to place those orders, look inside your bulletin. Every Tuesday in Advent at noon, you are invited to a special harpsichord recital here in the sanctuary. These half-hour concerts are free and open to the public and feature talented young artists from our community. Next Sunday at 4 o'clock, dress for the weather and meet us on the front lawn while we experience the Christmas story with animals, some costumes, and a few crafts along the way. It is our live Nativity and Advent workshop from 4 to 5. And then at 5 o'clock, all are invited for our intergenerational evening worship service. It'll be here in the sanctuary where we will sing carols together, listen to scripture, and prepare ourselves for the Advent season. Last but certainly not least, on December 11th at 3 o'clock, here in the sanctuary, we will enjoy a Messiah sing-in. That means you get to lift your voices with the choir and the Singing City Choir as we join in Messiah's beautiful words and music. Tickets may be purchased through the website listed in the bulletin and are $21 for adults, $11 for students. It's the one time a year that I will sing out as loudly as I can, um, thankful for the choir's good leadership. (laughs) Now, friends, let us lay aside the things that distract us. Let us turn our eyes towards that city so far off, and towards the child that we await. Friends, I invite you to join in singing the Advent Introit as I invite Doug and Margaret Stay forward. People of faith, watch for the coming of God in full glory. We are 
Today we begin our Advent journey to Bethlehem. We light the candle of hope in celebration of the Christ who came. May this tiny flame hold back the darkness. Seated. 
Repentance is a turning. It's turning back to ourselves and turning back to God. It is being honest with our failings and seeking a new way. And so we are bold as one people to turn together, to turn our hearts, our minds, our very words back to God, to seek forgiveness and a new way forward. Friends, will you please pray with me? Merciful God, you come to us as light in darkness, but we fail to see how you have shown the way of discipleship. You call us to goodness, and we wander toward the bitterness that divides us one from another. Forgive our lack of focus on the things that really matter. Redirect us toward your ways of justice and peace, that we might be a beacon of light in the world. Amen. Jesus Christ came into the world to rescue sinners. He bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might be dead to sin and alive to all that is good. Friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. It is in Jesus Christ that we are forgiven. Alleluia. Amen. The Lord be with you. Can you see all the changes in the sanctuary? What what are some things you see that are different? We've got some some things back there with lights on them, some trees. Did you see the candle over there burning? How many candles do you see up there? There's one, two, three, four, five candles there, but only one is burning. Do you notice the blue? We are in the season of Advent. And during Advent, we go on a journey all the way to Bethlehem. Do you know how to get to Bethlehem? Do you? It can, you have to travel a far distance to get to Bethlehem. Ah, you have to travel. Who can help show us the way? I'm going to show you. There were people called prophets. 
And the prophets listened to God and told the people everything they had heard. And the prophets lived a long ways away from Bethlehem. But prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Micah, all of the prophets pointed to Bethlehem. They listened to God and they showed people the way. They said, we are waiting for someone who will be like a good shepherd. We're waiting for someone who will be like a mighty king. We're waiting for someone who will be a wise counselor. We're waiting for someone who will be a child. The prophets show the way. Do you think it was hard to be a prophet? It might have been hard. It might have been easy. I think each prophet had a different time. I wonder if you might be able to be a prophet too. Can you help show the way to Bethlehem? Can you listen to God and show the people? Can you do that with your words? Can you do that with your actions? Because the prophets had to do something very important because they were so far away. They had to look with hope to imagine something that had never been before. And they did a very good job of that. So the prophets show us the way. Hmm. Can you help me pray? Will you stretch your arms wide out and let your hands rest? And take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. And repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for prophets. Help me be one too. Help my words guide. And my actions help. Be with us this week. And keep us safe. And all together we say, Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Creator God, you remind us that the darkness of ignorance and doubt cannot overcome your life-giving word. May your Holy Spirit, who first inspired these words of Scripture, shine your light and once again awaken us to the hearing and living of this radiant truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. From the prophet Isaiah. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem 
and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I say, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep.
From the opening verses of the Gospel of Matthew, an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. The genealogy continues until it stops in verse 11 with, At the time of the deportation to Babylon. And then verse 12 begins, And after the deportation to Babylon. And continues the list of names, names we have never heard of until... And Eliezer, the father of Mathen, and Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon, from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. The word of the Lord. Both of the gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, make sure that we know the child who is to come was conceived by the Holy Spirit and that Mary became pregnant before she and Joseph, uh, as Matthew puts it, had lived together. So it's interesting that Matthew opens the gospel with such a lengthy family tree of Joseph, who presumably is not, shall I say, the biological father of Jesus. Even if there were countless cheek swabs and a mountain of DNA evidence, I am fairly certain that Ancestry.com could not sort out this family tree. However, like many of us who are interested in tracing our family heritage, every first century Jew would claim Father Abraham as a forebear, and many would presume to be kin to King David. The challenge was that in the centuries between King David and Jesus, there was not much national pedigree to be proud of because of the Babylonian exile. So Matthew gives us a list of names we've never heard of going back a thousand years to make the claim that the little baby about to be born in Bethlehem is descended from Israel's real royal family. 
King Herod the Great, for example, whom we will encounter in Jesus' birth narrative soon enough, had no royal blood. Herod was simply an opportunistic military commander the Romans made into a king to further their Middle Eastern agenda. As one biblical scholar notes, going back through King David to Abraham, Matthew's genealogy is actually a political statement. You sure wouldn't want Herod's spies overhearing you boast that you were part of the true royal family. That, you see, is Matthew's point. Jesus is not just another person on a big family tree, but he is the hope for a new day to dawn during a bleak and oppressive Time. This birth, Matthew is saying, is what God's covenant community has been anticipating for thousands of years. The Messiah, the promised Savior, the King of Kings. On this first Sunday of Advent, we begin our journey toward Bethlehem with a host of biblical characters for whom the birth of Jesus was their goal, their hope that had been forged over long centuries. Hope for improved human welfare. Hope for the end of the violence. Hope for a viable economy for all. Freedom from oppression. Redemption. Today we remember the people who made the longest journey to Bethlehem of all. For in the middle of that family tree, we are called to pay attention to the most difficult years in their history, the time of the deportation to Babylon. Matthew emphasizes the exile by repeating it from David to the deportation to Babylon 14 generations and from the deportation to the Messiah 14 generations. The exile was the formative season of God's people leading to the birth of Jesus. They had become the pillage of war, refugees in a foreign country, subjected to the worst forms of violence an invading army can dish up. Sometimes we forget that it was this long season of devastation and displacement that gives us our favorite Christmas prophet, Isaiah. When we hear Isaiah echo down the corridors of time on Christmas Eve saying, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness on them, light has shined the preacher can hardly get too specific about the darkness. 
It would not be the pastoral thing to do on Christmas Eve, huddled as we are with children and college students and so many visitors who come to sing about a baby in the warm glow of candlelight. But here, on the first Sunday of Advent, it feels the responsible thing to do is to pay attention to the darkness, to pay attention to the Babylonian exile that twice breaks in to the genealogy of Jesus because the darkness was real. The darkness is real. Into deep darkness, the prophet speaks words that we desperately need to take into our hearts. To the worst devastation life can bring, Isaiah is saying, I have seen the future, and the future belongs to God. Our reading from Isaiah 40 begins what is called the Book of Consolation, addressing the exiles. Not only had the people of ancient Israel been defeated by Babylon and carried off in humiliation, the worst thing of all was there had been no word from the Lord for 200 years. So at last, Into their forlorn silence, the word of the Lord finally came in a double imperative, comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. The Lord is coming into your exile. The Lord is coming into your season of slavery, a highway for your return is being prepared. All flesh shall see the glory of the Lord. Even the Babylonians will see it. Do not fear. A way is being made to take you home. Isaiah says, see the Lord comes with might. He will feed his flock like a shepherd, gather the lambs, and gently lead the mother sheep. The experience of exile is one that most of us will endure sooner or later. That sense of being taken away from what one knows and loves. Of being God-forsaken in a strange place. The sense of being dislocated by some unexpected event or diagnosis or horrific loss. We cannot minimize the plight of ancient Israel, and it must be said that it was more like life in Ukraine just now or in a Syrian refugee camp. But we can identify with the idea that their jur- of their journey 
through darkness toward light. We can identify with the need to hear God's consolation come through our own traumatic experiences of feeling dislocated, lost, and completely uncertain about the future. In the United States, the sheer fact of gun violence throws all of us into an existential exile. There have been more than 600 mass shootings this year, more than two a day, and the everyday locations of them are heartbreaking. At a wonderfully inclusive bar for LGBTQ plus community in Colorado, at a Walmart in Virginia where people were buying ingredients for their Thanksgiving dinner. Outside Overbrook High School, four students shot less than four miles from here the day before Thanksgiving. And there is this form of political gridlock, if not economic oppression, refusing to limit the purchase of guns. All manner of studies show that America is in a crisis of despair. The Brookings Institute has released data on the toll despair is taking on our well-being, on health and longevity, its effects on our politics and its barrier to reviving labor markets and productivity. The report says the American dream is in tatters. It says despair is driving nativist politics. Vulnerability to fake news, populist messages and skepticism about science. Our society's despair is a huge factor in our ideological polarization that is hampering our responses to social and economic challenges. What is this report from the Brookings Institute, which researches economics and public policies, say is the needed antidote to despair? Hope. Lack of hope is the central issue, the report says. So in a study that outlines the challenges of economic disparities, political polarization, and the social crises of increasing mental illness, addiction, and suicide, the report says the central need is hope. Are we not a people in exile longing for a brighter tomorrow. That's what the season of Advent proclaims is coming to the people of God. Hope. 
Even in long periods of exile, there is hope that God is doing a new thing with great power, but it is not the kind of power we have reason to fear. According to Isaiah, the Lord is coming with might, but God's might is found in tender strength to feed the flock like a shepherd. God's strength is in the tenderness. The tenderness is in the strength. That's what we find at the end of the long journey through darkness. A tiny, vulnerable baby is born. An extraordinary power is unleashed in the world. Tender strength, strong tenderness. Through the worst seasons of exile, personal, national, global, we cling to that hope. Earlier this fall, I was in Chicago for a meeting with a small group of pastors. And I was reminded of an amazing story of hope that came through a horrible season of exile. It happened at the famed Drake Hotel in downtown Chicago. In the late 1990s, a woman in New York named Annie Stern received a call from another who said, I have a package for you from your mother. This came as a shock since Stern mother, Mina Pachter, died during World War II of malnutrition in the Terrazin concentration camp. But here was this package from Mina Pachter that somehow made it into the hands of her daughter after all those years. When when Annie Stern opened the package, she discovered a collection of recipes handwritten by her mother and the women of Terrazin. She was so shaken that she put the book away for years, unable to look at it. But eventually, the Terrazin recipes were painstakingly translated and published by Bianca Steiner Brown, a former Terrazin inmate who had become the editor of Gourmet Magazine. Finally, the Holocaust Museum hosted a luncheon at the Drake Hotel in Chicago that showcased some of these remarkable recipes. Imagine this, the newspaper article explained. Elderly, gaunt women sitting around a bunk bed, whispering in the dark, feeding themselves on memories of potato herring dishes and desserts made of rose hips. Imagine them jotting down in ornate German script the secrets to chicken gelatin 
or directions for stuff goose neck. Imagine these women huddled together in a concentration camp, remembering the lives they left behind. Kitchens that smelled of cinnamon, tables draped in linen, families feasting on strudels and torts and dumplings. Imagine them fortifying their souls with memories of preparing and sharing food. Imagine them wishing they could pass on their recipes to their daughters like generations of women before them had passed them down to them. And then imagine them learning their recipes survived the Holocaust, even though they did not, and more than 50 years later, their food would come alive among the crystal chandeliers and the gold velvet curtains of the Drake Hotel. The elegant meal finished with the thinnest sliver of bittersweet dark chocolate tort made from a recipe by Mina Pachter, while their host had this to say. Take the cookbook home, put it on your kitchen shelf, and look at the extraordinariness, but wonderful mundaneness of your kitchen. Choose one recipe. Serve that dish. Tell the story. Friends, this is the story of our forebears in faith who knew the darkness of exile, of people who walked this weary world so often plagued by evil and violence, but who did not give up on a future wrought by a strong, tender, hope-inspiring God. For generations they longed for a brighter tomorrow. They saw the future and still tell us it belongs to God. This is also the story of far too many people today. We are being called by Isaiah, called by the genealogy of Jesus himself, called by a world in need to help usher in God's future 
with tender strength and strong tenderness. Amen. join me in the affirmation of faith printed in your bulletin. Jesus came as a child, born of a woman, as is every child, yet born of God's power, as was no other child. He lived as a Jew among Jews. He announced to his people the coming of God's rule of justice and peace on earth. We believe that the coming of Jesus was itself the coming of God's promised rule. Through his life, death, and resurrection, he initiates the relationship between God and the human race that God always intended. You may be seated. This morning we are especially mindful of the family of Madeline Fisher, 
who entered her eternal rest last month. We also remain in prayer for the family of Elia Buck, whose memorial service will take place on January 7 at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary. Friends, let us live in the comfort that nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And now, let us pray. God of grace, we thank you for this season of Advent, of waiting. We thank you for the beauty of the sleeping earth, entering the long wait for spring's new life. Thank you for far-flung family and friends that we wait all year to see and do see in this season. Help us be mindful of the complicated past and all those who wait for justice. We pray for all those who are waiting this morning, people who wait for an end to violence because they have known too much, particularly those who suffer because of yet more mass shootings in the past two weeks. Creator, bring justice, bring peace, bring reconciliation. Heal the divides in our country and world and church as only you can. Loving God, we pray for those who wait for healing because they live with sickness and pain each day. Be in the minds of scientists and doctors that answers may be found, that health might be restored. We pray for people who are waiting for good news, for better news, as they are weighed down in sorrow. We pray for all who wait for faithful and gifted leaders, exhausted by the pervasive rhetoric that changes nothing or simply makes things worse. We pray for all of the earth that waits, creatures who wait for protection because their environment has been destroyed, waterways that wait for renewal because they have been contaminated, lands that wait to be redeemed from pollution or recover from earthquakes because we have forgotten that you called the land good and that our inaction over climate change results in harm for others. Throughout the world, in and on and under it, waiting happens. Waiting grows and gathers. The earth is pregnant waiting for redemption. In eager expectation, we wait for the revelation of the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, God has enriched us in every way, in speech, knowledge, and spiritual gifts. From the fellowship of Jesus Christ, we are sent out to share with thanksgiving that which we have received. Let us now return to God a portion of what has been given to us.
us pray. Almighty One, you have done and are doing great things for us, and holy is your name. Bless all we offer you, ourselves, our time, and our possessions, that through us your grace and favor may be known to all the world. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our hope. Amen. Go now into the world in peace, showing forth your tender strength. For God comes to us. God promises us a brighter future because the future belongs to God. As you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all and all those you love and all God's children everywhere this day and forevermore. Amen.